Welcome to the Healing Embodied Podcast, where we have real and raw conversations about growth and healing that will shift your perspective in profound ways. We take a unique approach to healing the overthinking mind, creating conscious relationships, and living a life of courage and freedom. So take a deep breath and get ready to expand your mind, connect to your body, and activate your spirit. Hello and welcome back to the Healing Embodied Podcast. This is your host, Chelsea Horton, and today I have a fantastic conversation with an even more fantastic guest. I have had her on the podcast before. Returning today is Natalie Kennedy. Um, She's the founder of Anxious Love Coach. She has her own podcast called the Anxious Love Coach Podcast. She is one of my dearest friends and she also works in the relationship coaching space and we're about to have a very juicy conversation for you today um, where we share some countercultural uh, perspectives that we hold on relationships. So let's get into it. Natalie, let's let's share the truth of why we really decided to do this episode today. Um, yeah, in the same week we both some posted on our social medias we both posted something that actually is true about our unique relational experiences about our relationships and both of our posts in the same week got really misunderstood by followers or whatever or we both noticed there was a lot of projections or like people were just not 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 everyone was uh, on the same page as us. So do you want to share more about your experience with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, this has definitely inspired a somewhat polarizing on purpose podcast episode. So I'm glad that we're going to have this conversation, less of an interview and more of a hangout, more of a discussion. Chelsea and I are in each other's WhatsApps all day long sometimes. So we're just hitting record on it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I talked about it on when I think my last episode, um, how I was, I was pretty disappointed with the way that my video was received. Um, if you don't know which one I'm talking about, it was, I made a video very recently about, um, like letting my husband sleep in um, when we had somewhere to go for my work, we had a train to catch. And rather than waking him up, um, I decided to go get breakfast and trust that when I came back, he would be ready. But I, I mentioned in there, and this is where the part that I think got misconstrued. I mentioned that I had made peace with the possibility of missing the train. And um, everyone th- assumed that because of that, I must be a submissive doormat. <laughs> and it was really not about that at all. It was just me kind of going with the flow. And uh, for me, this has resulted in so much peace. And it was just a perspective. Um, and there was a lot of nuance and context that I left out because, you know, I can't bring 12 years of nuance into a one one and a half minute video. Um, so you know, it's something I need to come to peace with that like people are not going to see the full story because they haven't, there hasn't been a camera on me for 12 years. 
And if there was, you wouldn't watch it. So <laughs> like the only thing that really matters is my experience for me personally. But I just know that um, the level of bliss and profound connection I experience in my relationship is something I don't see a lot of people having. And so um, I share what creates that. But I think a lot of people don't think I could possibly be happy with with that mindset. So I'm hoping that today we can share some like counter-cultural and also counter-counter-cultural um, messages that uh, we live by, I guess, in our own relationships. So that's that's kind of my yeah. Our st my starting piece. Yeah, what's yours? And like, as we were talking about how our posts were being perceived, we realized, like, I think the reason why this is getting so many projections and is is because we, you and I both take a pretty countercultural approach to relationships. Like the mainstream relationship advice and relationship perspectives that you see out there are very like perfectionistic um very rigid in a lot of ways like if he messes I up saying enti entitled yeah yeah very entitled um yeah say say more about about that mm, it's for to me it's 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 an entitled energy for me there's a big difference between being worthy and being entitled mm. um or being or or the discernment between being deserving of better versus being entitled to better. Um, one of them has a very demanding energy to it, um, and it lacks humility and appreciation and gratitude. Yes. Oh, girl. <laughs> Something else just came up. The whole you posted about this before when when you're like, oh, I'm so grateful that my partner, you know, brought me soup when I was sick in bed, and people are like, oh you're thanking him for something he should be doing wow we've really set the bar very low it's like oh yeah the bar is on the floor yeah so now we just can't appreciate someone unless they go above and beyond to prove themselves to us like what i know yeah it, it really it really scares me and it happens on both sides i see it from men and i see it from women and um or or regardless of the gender binary i see it um, I see this rampant entitlement in partnership and it's almost like a, an addiction to being worshipped in partnership um, or the idea of being worshipped. And we're so, we're so hungry for this magical knight on shining armor that's going to anticipate all of your needs and is going to just bend over backwards for us because otherwise we're settling uh, it makes me kind of it makes me sad it makes me sad because it actually takes very little to be deeply happy mm -hmm. um but truly i believe i believe it takes very little um but it is as long as you are comparing to some grand version that is probably based on something you've seen on the internet uh, you will not be happy because comparison is the thief of joy mm -hmm. and you won't see what's be beautiful right in front of you. That's right. And so today we want to share six countercultural perspectives or beliefs that we hold in our relationships. We each have three 
So we're each going to be sharing. <laughs> yep. We're each going to be sharing our three and like what that looks like in our relationships. Yeah. Things that you, you don't see a lot on the world of TikTok relationships where, oh my gosh, how dare you say thank you when he did something that he should be doing. Uh, uh, right. Uh, You're just encouraging the bar to go lower. Matt didn't say thank you for when I did like a house chore or didn't express appreciation. Even though house chores is something we each quote unquote should be doing because it's our house. But if he never said thank you or I appreciate you cooking dinner or I appreciate doing dishes, if he never said thank you because it's something I quote unquote should be doing. Uh, what? seriously like okay it's gonna yeah I mean at the same time it's like I also do things without the and obviously I'm not saying you didn't say this it's like I'm sharing both sides um you know on the one hand it's so nice to be appreciated for the little things um and I appreciate I I thank my partner for things he should be doing because I know how wonderful it feels for me when I'm exactly appreciated for things that I should be doing but I also do it without the expectation of being thanked and so every time I receive that thank you um it just feels like extra and then what ends up even though it's quote unquote the bare minimum it ends up not feeling like the bare minimum because you're not going in with the expectation of being thanked but then when you do it's a pleasant surprise and you end up feeling indebted to each other and I think what I see Yeah, something I see in our culture today is a culture of resentment, which I think comes from perceiving that you are owed something from the other person. You owe me this. And both people are feeling it. Both people feel like they are owed something. Um, But and I I call that a negative spiral where it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, But there's also what we might call an upward spiral, which is a culture of feeling indebted to the other. Um, And this is the exact opposite of resentment, where you feel like you can never do enough for your partner in a good way because of how much they do for you. And this is what happens when you say thank you constantly and you are constantly thanked. Um, You create this currency of gratitude in the relationship that is just really so fulfilling. Um, And you get thanked for the big things and you get thanked for the small things and vice versa. But I think when we are going at it from what we can take then we're not focusing on what we can give and we're not actually loving wholeheartedly. We're loving with strings attached. And in my, in my opinion, um, we are in long-term partnership and marriage. Um, if you, if you are wanting to get married, you do so to practice unconditional love. That's the whole point. Otherwise why? So unconditional love is a practice. Um, and when both people are doing it, it's something quite extraordinary. Yeah. So I guess technically today is seven countercultural relationship practices because, you know, this is one of them saying thank you, even when you're, you know, expressing appreciation and gratitude, even when your partner does something they quote unquote should be doing. Like I create a culture of gratitude and admiration and indebtedness versus you owe me you like it's not enough to do the dishes it's like you need to be going above and beyond so that's actually yeah like I don't need to say thank you I'm entitled to that thing that you're doing I'm entitled to your time I'm entitled to your attention I'm entitled to your body 
you know, and there's no reverence for the other person and their history and the other and their experience and their inner world. Oof, I love that reverence for the other person. Like something that I, an approach I see, Matt, is like you chose to do life with me. Like, wow. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Wow. That is the highest honor I could receive is for someone to choose to do life with me. Not because I think I'm a piece of shit and no one's ever going to love me. And oh my gosh, wow. Someone loved me. It's like, whoa, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm awesome. Duh. But like, I'm also mm-hmm. a human being and life is hard and committing to someone in the challenges of life is hard. And you've choose like chosen to do that with me. Like that's, yeah, it's quite, it's quite an honor. And to mm-hmm. treat it like the treat it to treat it like the honor that it is is very humbling and it's quite a practice and um it requires a willingness to be wrong mm-hmm. you know to if you're really seeing the other person um you will see your own limitations and how you behave and things like that yes how so beautiful absolutely you will see yeah, and a lot of people don't want to be wrong they don't want to be wrong. Yep. yep. <laughs> so who's going to go first? I guess we can go back and forth. You can start us off. Okay. Um, so this one is it's helpful if I share some context. This is actually a sentence that came to me in like a meditation session for me. Um, and when I first heard it, I, I knew it was a soft, gentle voice and it was it was the the sentence that came to me was so radical, but it was like a whisper and it was like, you know, take it or leave it, but I'm just putting this there. And I reject, I wanted to reject it so bad, but it had that ring of truth to it. Um, especially considering the life I'd been living prior to hearing that sentence. And the sentence is this, I receive what I am given. And when I was, when I first heard the sentence in my mind, I knew it came from somewhere divine. But I was like, what? (laughs) What do you mean I receive what I'm given? And I've been pondering on that sentence for a while because it sounds very um, almost passive or submissive in a way. And it's the opposite of what I've lived by for a long time. Um, It's very counter to the settling, to the don't settle culture. Um, most of the messages I've heard are don't settle, don't settle in your partner, don't settle in how much money you can make, don't settle in your business, just keep going, keep, if you can go for more, go for more, and never be satisfied with what you have, just keep going, and uh, um, the message I receive what I'm given was such a soft, quiet, humble voice that said, like, say yes to what is, and that's kind of how I've interpreted it, Um, But that also, I've applied it to my relationship heavily in terms of I receive what I'm given by my partner. And I don't mean given in the sense of like gift giving, although it's included in that, that 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 is included in that sentence. But more so, if my partner doesn't have time for me, I, I consider that something that's happening to me. My partner says no to me or my partner disappoints me. I consider that a life circumstance. I I teach and when I work with my clients, I teach the inner work and the outer work. And eventually we realize it's one and the same. (laughs) There's no separation. It's all the same because we're all one. 
but I don't see things in terms of me and my partner. I see things in terms of inner and outer, and my partner is included in the outer. So my partner showing up to me a certain way, that's just life showing up a certain way for me. And I receive what I'm given means not that I'm unwilling to do something in the direction of what I desire, but I am saying yes to what is. And for me, I receive what I am given means I'm willing to be disappointed in my relationship. Um, and I'm I'm not in resistance to my partner and how he behaves. Um, I say yes to what is, like if he disappoints me or uh, God forbid, I say something hoping he's going to respond a certain way and he doesn't respond in that way. I receive that too because he's an autonomous human and he's not supposed to respond in the exact way that I think he should. If I wanted that, I should have just married myself. <laughs> so um, I receive what I'm given means I accept him as he is. I ex And I also not just, I don't just accept the outer, I also accept the inner, which means I accept my own emotions. So if he disappoints me, I, I accept myself in that moment. So it's not just like tolerating, it's also honoring my inner experience in response to the outer. So for me, um, you know, I receive what I'm given. Sounds kind of weird, but if I were to say like the more countercultural belief um, embedded inside of that, I would say I am willing to get hurt. I'm willing to be disappointed by my partner slash life. Mm -hmm. And paradoxically, when we're willing to to receive all that life has to offer, the wide range of the human experience, we open ourselves up to feel more joy and love. Mm -hmm. Because when you close yourself off to the unpleasant, you close yourself off to all of it. Exactly. And when I first heard this little whisper in meditation, I receive what I'm given, including my emotions, including my experiences, including what's happening in the world. Um, it's not about being passive and not taking action in terms. I really want to say that this is not a passive uh, statement. It's just in the infinitesimal moment of isness, I'm saying yes, as if I chose it in a way so that I can fully be here with what is. It's a very deep principle. And here's the thing. If I'm not in resistance to disappointment, for instance, then all of a sudden I don't need to control my partner anymore because I'm okay with him letting me down. And the paradox is when I am not in control of my partner, I have given him the gift of free will. And the paradox is when you give your partner the gift of free will, then they can choose you of their own free will. And then all of a sudden, you know that they're doing something for you, not because you made them do it, not because you wanted to avoid disappointment, but because they wanted to, which isn't that what all of us want anyway. Don't you want him to take out the trash because he wanted to, not because you made him do it? That's only possible if you are in acceptance of being disappointed. And that is so hard for people to wrap their minds around. But that deep bliss of being met authentically only happens when you receive your partner as they are and give them room to let you down. Mm -hmm. And I can hear all the yeah butters 
<laughs> I know yeah. they're there. And that's why I say, you know, I'm sharing this in the same way. If your partner is abusive to you, that you should just accept that. That's no, not what no. friggin saying, y'all. Okay. I mean, that's a really valid concern. So I, I hear that. And I'm not referring to accepting and tolerating abuse. I'm talking about run of the mill. He didn't take the trash out. He misinterpreted you, uh, dismissed you even. Uh, you shared something from your heart and he just totally missed it. Like I'm talking about saying yes to that. So he missed it. And you say I, in, in your mind, I receive what I'm given this moment. I've been dismissed and not punishing in that moment and saying, you know, maybe now is not the time. Maybe I caught him at a bad time and I'm, I'm deserving of a good response, but I'm not entitled to it. I don't always get what I want because I'm not a screaming toddler yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't throw a tantrum whenever I don't receive what I want. That's part of being a grown up. Is like your partner is not going to meet your need at every single moment, just like a parent's not going to meet, you know, every demand that of a toddler. You know, and if you're going to kick and scream every time your partner doesn't meet your needs, you have some reparenting to do. <laughs> so, um, and I I share this in a quiet, gentle way, in the same way it was somehow shared to me in that meditation session. Um, it was kind of like, you don't have to take it, but I'm just putting this out there. You can decide what you want to do with it. And I'm sharing that sentence in the same way you can decide if you hate it, don't take it, but I'm just quietly putting it there. If you ever get tired of the way you're doing things and you want to try another mindset uh, of humility and acceptance. So it's a, it's a quieter path and it's counter to the screaming that you're seeing all over social media, but to me, it has brought me so much deep peace. I can't even describe it in words. Yeah. So counter to what we hear, but it's, I mean, the fundamental prin principles of like Eckhart Tolle and, and Byron mm -hmm. Katie, like all the, you know, spiritual teachers, you know, even like Buddhism, you know, just yes like, to what is yes to what is because everything else is madness. Yes. And you can still feel into what needs to be done. Right. Right. So it's not passive. It's a really, it's a line. It's a straight line. It's like a narrow path of doing what needs to be done while also not being in resistance to the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. So what's, we'll move on from there. What's yours? Okay. Number, number one, Chelsea. So my personal uh, countercultural uh, relationship belief is I don't need Matt. I don't need my partner to like all the things that I like to be similar to me in order to be deeply fulfilled and happy. And I realized how countercultural this was when, you know, a week or so ago, I shared this post that was designed to specifically outline the differences in interests and perspectives that me and Matt have and the challenges that that can, um, you know, put in front of us and to love someone is to allow them to be who they are without him needing to be what I want him to be so that I don't have to feel uncomfortable. And, um, you know, like I, <laughs> I dance is like my passion. Dance is one of the biggest things about me. And Matt doesn't dance. And yeah, 
I'm not going to drag him to be like, well, we need to be doing this together. And, you know, this relationship coach on Instagram commented on my post saying, I'd be so much happier if you would go dancing with me. And it's just, I have just learned through, it'll be nine years in less than a month. I've learned through nine years of experience of like, oh, wait, (laughs) these nine years, we have not gone dancing together once. And we have such this beautiful, fulfilling, wonderful partnership. And that for me, compatibility isn't about having all the same interests, all the same perspectives, all the same beliefs. It's can we navigate our differences, our inevitable differences with love and appreciation and and respect and actually not just accept them, but appreciate them and see how they bring balance to the relationship Mm -hmm. instead of only seeing the things about Matt that are different from me as like this negative thing, because it's not like me. And obviously the way I am is just better to actually see what is is really, really good and helpful about the fact that he's different from me in this way. And that has, again, brought even more appreciation, gratitude, fulfillment, laughter, and joy to the relationship. Cause I know in, if I'm lacking in one area, he makes up for it in another area. And for some reason, you know, that's countercultural. <laughs> you know, people are like, no, find someone who has all the same beliefs and hobbies and you'd be so much more uh, fulfilled if you could do all these things together. And it's like, I personally don't believe that. Like, sure, that's wonderful to be able to experience those things together. But for me, it's not an absolute necessity in order to feel happy and fulfilled in a relationship. And I'm actually happier when I allow Matt to be who he is, similar to what you were saying, when I allow Matt to be who he is, instead of believing that he needs to be like me. Mm -hmm. Powerful. And I'm just going to throw this in in there as someone who is in a 12 year relationship with a man who didn't dance and then started to dance two years ago. Um, I wouldn't say that that particular thing just, I I used to want my partner to dance so bad and I wanted him to come to yoga. I wanted him to go to meditation things. I wanted him to be more spiritual. And now that he is those things, I'm like, that didn't solve anything. Exactly. As someone who's gone from not having the dancing partner to having the dancing partner, it didn't solve anything. If anything, it created new problems. There's like jealousy in the picture now of like he's dancing with someone. <laughs> like I was just, you know, we maybe solved, I'm putting, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, I'm putting air quotes in here. We solved one quote unquote problem and replaced it with a new one. And, yeah. um, you know, so it's, I don't think it's about the dancing. It's you know, if I were to go deeper, I would say like, what is this need that you think you're getting, you think that you would get if they were to dance? I'm guessing it's probably something like attunement, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which you can get through a myriad of things that are not dancing. So what I'm hearing is that you don't need to dance with Matt to feel attuned to him. My guess is you have other things that you do together that make you feel very seen. 
And personally, I am very grateful that my husband dances now. It's like another, it's another way of communicating. It's another language that we can communicate in, but it's not the main way that we communicate. We communicate in like 95% of our communication is not through dance. Um, it's just another way. And also, you know, be open to being surprised. Maybe he will, maybe Matt one day will be like, you know what? I'm going to shake my ass up there. Cause I don't give a fuck anymore. I could see that happening one day, but it happens, as I said, of their own free will right. and not because you made them and not because you guilted them. Like I still, yeah. I still think it could happen. And you know, Matt and Preston are going to be at some dance floor some days working. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I can't picture it. I can't picture it, but yeah, it just goes back sure to I like, can't either. <laughs> if I believe that Matt needs to you know, be on the dance floor with me in order for me to be happy because I can't be with my own disappointment or I can't find that happiness within myself, then I'm always going to try to control him. Right. Right. It's like, I need you to do this to take away the discomfort I feel because I have this story that I'll only be happy if we like all the same things and believe all the same things. It's just a very limited definition of happiness. And it's, it's contingent. It's dependent. It's this, this outsourcing. Like I will only be no control over that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's to me, it's like part of it is a lack of personal ownership of like, like you're allowed to be your own person and have your own things and be fine with that. It's a very entitled mindset, I think. And also it's incredibly disrespectful to the other person and their humanness and autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And it's a lot of times we have this very narrow view of how our needs are going to be met. Mm -hmm. And it's not always true. You know, there are many ways to get the need met for attunement that dancing can bring. Um, and people are assuming that because he's not dancing with you, that you're not attuned. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's absolutely false. I have seen you both. And it is very evident that you guys have a unique flavor of attunement that I don't, I've never seen with any other couple. You guys have your own chemistry between you two, this sarcastic, playful banter that is just so beautiful to watch. It's almost like you guys are in on some inside joke that nobody else gets. It's yeah. almost like borderline abusive from the outside. But like if you, didn't know then you would think it's almost abusive but because you're both in on this joke I'm get you know my assumption is it brings you that much more closer you almost enjoy pissing off yes. people. <laughs> I've actually um like there were times where he would introduce me to some of his friends there's this couple he you know we went out to dinner with them and I was meeting them for the first time and we were just being ourselves this kind of sarcastic banter that we have that's so normal for us. And apparently like that night, she, the friend told her husband, like, he does not treat her well. And she's a goddess. And why, like, why do they speak to each other that way? And then they hung out with us another time and another time. And they're like, oh, and they told us that story of that initial perception of us. And then they're like, oh, these two people are crazy about each other. Yes. Yes. And this is like their, I love that you called it like this joke that only we're in on because that's what it feels like it's like our own world our own language and it's kind of funny I don't get it but I know that you guys are in on something 
it's funny that that most people don't get it and like you said there's kind of this pleasure in confusing people (laughs) you go ahead and think it's abusive and hate it you know I see the kink in that you know it it reminds me of it reminds me of two lions you know when they when they swipe each other are you going to call it abuse it's like you guys are both knit from the same fibers and Mm -hmm. so because of that and you know now I find this so funny because I hear the same uh anxiety it's like the people that thought you guys had such a terrible relationship now we're talking about it and now they're probably like I don't have that I'm not knit from the same fiber with my part isn't that interesting isn't that interesting that it's like you were judging you were judging from one angle and from this another angle it's like oh shit now you're jealous so this is how relationships are you just it's never a lot of what you see online it's never as bad as you think it is and it's never as good as you think it is either it just is and you're never gonna know that's right and your relationship work for me and vice versa I have friends who are like, I could never be in a relationship with someone like that <laughs> because they're like, well, they're not, you're not them and they're not you. So it works hey, out. And also because like their humor is just not like that. And even with most of my girlfriends, the, the humor that I have with most of my female friends is not highly sarcastic, but that's actually something I really love. I love sarcasm. And so Matt is like one of the few I think it might also maybe be like a, a male thing. Matt is one of the few people who can take it and dish it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. So it's, yeah, it is. It's very, it's very fun. Um, and we, we've said before, like, like, you know, why is that something about us? And we realize like, we don't ever like real, real fight a lot. That's like something very rare that happens in our relationship. Like real, real fighting or arguing and so it's like well we got to have that fiery energy somewhere so we just kind of fake fight all day yes <laughs> it's so many people um avoid tension and think yeah. that tension is bad but tension is actually where all the magic happens um mm-hmm. think about you know in the tango if if someone's too loose there's no connection but if there's too rigid you can't move with them mm-hmm. um and the same if you think of like a bow and arrow if you don't pull it at all it just goes yeah. and if you pull it too much the bow snaps yeah so finding t- tension is actually where the good stuff is the same in business like making an investment that stretches you but doesn't break you you yes. know tension is where tension is so important actually and a lot of people don't know how to just hang out in it um, but hanging out in tension, the sweet spot of tension is where all the magic is. And you guys have that tension going on all the time. And it's a good Yeah. Thing. And I, I, you know, a lot of times when I talk about a relationship, I say how like, quote unquote, boring it is. Meaning like we love sitting on the couch together and watching our shows. Like we don't go, like, we're not the type of couple like you and Preston who could like go travel the world. Like that's just like, that's too stressful for us. It's we like not to be, everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> like we like to be chill. We always say how you know boring our relationship is. So to like see our relationship through your eyes and outside perspective of like actually how flirtatious it is, because that's really what it is. This like banter is always how I flirted. Is like this kind of I give you a little prick and see if you Pleasure respond. Pain. Yes, I give you a little prick. Cause I want you to respond and I want you to prick me back and then we're going to go. <laughs> yeah. 
I see it as a sweet spot, but it's that tension between pleasure and pain. And I mentioned this on my podcast and then we should keep going because we could just make a whole podcast on just this topic. Um, But, you know, Preston and I, we are so secure in each other now that like we can banter about the open relationship that we never really have like really entertained the idea of acting on, but like it's on the table almost as a, as a juicy little possibility. And that creates, because like I, like, just like you and Matt, things are so safe, so stable, so secure that just like having that there creates just just the right amount of tension to keep things interesting. Even Mm -hmm. if we don't act on it, just having it be a part of the conversation, the possibility of it, um, it keeps things interesting. It keeps us respecting each other and appreciating each other. Um, I think it was Esther Perel that said, you know, the affair is not good. The affairs are not good. They're really not good. But also not having any tension in the relationship is not good either because there's nothing, there's no aliveness. So she said the sweet spot almost feels like having a slight threat to the relationship is a good thing, but it needs to be conscious, a chosen threat. So whether it's like this, where's the edge of abuse that we can get to where it's still pleasurable and painful, you know? (laughs) Um, and for me, it's like, where's the sweet spot between introducing there. some pain into the relationship? This is existential kink. What pain can I introduce to the relationship consciously that adds aliveness and tension? So mm-hmm. I, could, I could talk about that all day. But it sounds like you guys have created this, um, you know, to go back to your point about you guys don't need to be similar at all. You guys are have a strong polarity and are strongly opposite. And as a result, you guys have this tension created by these supposed incompatibilities that you guys are using to your advantage I love that perspective I love that all right wow we've already talked for a long time I know we'll rip through these other ones we'll rip through we'll rip through oh my god okay so my second one is um I mean it's kind of similar to what you said um I settled and I am deeply fulfilled and I guess it depends on your definition of settling, but um, I hate this word. I, everyone I know that uses the word settling is deeply unhappy. <laughs> Anyone that has this word in those, their vocabulary and uses it consistently, I find that they are riddled with anxiety. And rather than um, just throwing out the word, they're trying to make sure that they fit into this box of settling versus not settling. And um, it forces you to almost be the, the mindset it's not doing what it used to do, which is to inspire you to push beyond your your limits of like maybe when maybe in the past when you had Joe Schmo and Eric and Don were your three choices of partners in marriage, you know, to not settle. Maybe our grandparents or our parents, you know, stretched beyond that to explore, you know, finding a lover in Europe or another country. You know, I feel like that was very empowering. But now with all these options at our fingertips, um, settling is a weird concept considering we have all the choices and you're trying to calculatedly optimize your choice of partner um, from a place of entitlement that you deserve the very best. And it's not that you don't deserve the very best, but my God, you're going to be searching forever. Um, and no one's going to be good enough because there is no perfect partner. And there's um, always that 
fantasy of like, well, there's so many people in the world. There could be someone better. Yes. So I can never be satisfied because there's that possibility. You'll never receive what you're given. You'll never choose someone and receive them daily because you're going to be open to, you're going to be hoping you receive someone or something else. So by my standards, settling, the only, I think, context where settling is useful is if you are in a relationship with someone who treats you very poorly and with disrespect and is potentially abusive. Um, But if you've got a good enough partner, someone who treats you with love, they're just rather imperfect and disappointedly, frequently, in fact, you will be disappointed frequently, but they are still a good person and they still have your best interests at heart and they still want you to be happy. That's one of my metrics also is your partner wants you to be happy. Um, um, One of my things is is with my clients, I say, I want you to focus on your self-care and doing whatever you need to feel alive in the same way that you would if you were single. So if you didn't have this partner here and you couldn't, what would you do? And they're like, oh God, I don't know. It's been so long since I imagined myself as a single being. I'm like, that is a problem. And once you start getting happier, for me, the metric of an abusive relationship or not is when you get happier, does your partner resent you for it and hate you? Do they not want you to be happy? Does the relationship get worse when you take care of yourself or does it get better because you're not burdening them and they feel more free? So if you take care of yourself and the relationship gets better, you're not in an abusive relationship. You are just outsourcing your happiness to that person. Um, so for me, if you're with a partner that wants you to be happy and supports you in cultivating your own joy, you are not settling. However, in societal standards, it may feel that way because maybe they're a bit socially awkward or um, they're not, the, not the as hottest guy in the room. They're not the hottest guy in the room or, you know, they're a little skinny or they're a little chubby or um, they have, their teeth are a little crooked or their nose is a little crooked or they have some body odor. Like that stuff, you know, if you have any desire for a long-term partnership and to be with someone for life, which is what I want, I want some, I want to know what it's like to be with someone for life and to grow through the seasons. That's my desire. It might not be everyone's. But if that's what you want, if you want a potentially lifelong partnership, you know, you're going to go through seasons of sickness and ugliness and stinkiness and awkwardness and shame and depression and all of those things that humans go through. And they're not going to be good looking and attractive during that time. And if you have the word settling in your vocabulary and you let that word slip in during human moments, you're going to be very riddled with anxiety. This is why I love I accept what I'm given because, you know, that includes a temporarily depressed husband for six months. I accept my temporarily depressed husband because I have it in me to be a temporarily depressed wife for six months. And I would hate for someone to let me go and not see my brilliance because of that. And so I extend that outwards also, Mm. you know, I love if someone, I don't want someone to see themselves as settling by being with me and I'm really fucked up. Yes. 100%. 100%. My nose is crooked so, as fuck. And if Matt was like, well, I'm settling. Ooh. This bitch doesn't have a straight enough nose for me. So I'd be like, right? Wah, wah. don't be that person. Don't be that person. And I understand it's re- it's rooted in trauma and things like that, but don't be that person Um, who, you know, the way I see it is you don't, you don't act on the thought. You don't have to fight the thought. You just see the thought. Yep. And then you decide what kind of person you want to be in spite of the thought. Oh, his, his breath stinks. Okay. Okay. You, 
okay, so, so what? You don't have to judge, you don't have to make meaning out of it. You just see the thought, you feel a little ick for about five seconds, and then you move on with your life. <laughs> you don't need to do anything about it. <laughs> we're all gonna have, done. <laughs> yeah, we're all going to have critical thoughts about our partners, about ourselves. We're all going to have moments of ick with our partners, with ourselves. Yeah, it doesn't have to be this big catastrophe. Oh, and they probably have the ache about you sometimes. Yeah, I'm disgusting. <laughs> I know that for sure. I know Preston's like, have you showered today? And I'm like. I get that question too. I'm like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> oh, funny. All right. That's my point. What's yours? What's your next one? Okay. This, this goes very much with my first one. I'm realizing these all feed into each other. Um, trying to make my partner what I think they should be is not love. It's control. And I see this a lot with clients. It's like, I just want them to, to want the best for themselves. I want them to, to, to be the best that they can be. And I, I want them to be more like this. And I want them to be more like this. And I want them to go on this journey that I've gone on. And, you know, I did that. They could I have just did... married themselves. Exactly. I did that too. <laughs> and I realized that trying to make Matt into who I think he should be or who I think I need is not actually practicing love like that is not the definition my definition of love is i need you to be something other than what you are i would uh, argue that it's abusive I'm not saying the person's abusive but that's an abusive tactic yes it is it's it's and we're all we all have it we all have it in us to do it so absolutely I've done and i and I've, and i used to do it in these subtle kind of manipulative ways where I kept trying to have these conversations with him mm, to try yeah, to me convince too. him to think the way I did or to see things the way I did. It's like, I have to convince you to be different than what you are because I want the best for you. And the way I see things is the best, obviously, because I am the most enlightened being on planet earth. And so I'm, I'm doing this cause I love you. Okay. No, it's control. So there's not much yeah. more to about. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hear you. I've done the same thing and it, it's, it's very easy to identify yourself as the victim, but it's, it's hard to identify yourself as the bully. And uh, when I saw myself as the bully in the relationship, I could not unsee it. It's a hard, piece. it's icky. It's icky. Yeah. And I just, I know I mentioned, uh, you know, that's abusive behavior. Um, you know, this is the thing that we accuse like people like narcissists of doing, I've done it. I've done it. I've tried to subtly manipulate my partner and it was very uncomfortable to see it in myself and the bully in myself. Um, and, uh, if you see it, it's a good thing. I think if you're willing to see the bully in yourself, it's, it can be a game changer and it can be humiliating. And the humility will open you and you can, you can say, I am so sorry for being so disrespectful when I try to control you. That's I've said that sentence many times. So I'm sorry for being disrespectful when I try to control your hair or your books that you're reading or what supplements you're taking or uh, what kind of, I used to get on my partner for like working out without stretching. It's like, <laughs> excuse me. You know, how would I like it if someone was policing my exercise routine? He's not my personal trainer, so I'm yeah. not his either. 
I'm not his therapist. So why am I telling him to look at his inner child stuff? How disrespectful. It's gross. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And we don't need to freak out when we see ourselves doing these things. We're not bad people. We all have these tendencies because we're human. And this is how humans deal with discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We try to control. Try to control. Instead of receiving what we're given. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Your last one. Beautiful. Yep. Um, my last countercultural belief that I live by is I am 100% responsible for my own aliveness, pleasure, sense of meaning, and purpose. And a lot of people, I think, are very frightened by this belief because they say, if I'm 100% responsible for my aliveness and pleasure, then why be in a relationship? And to that, I say, you know, there's a difference between having someone complete you in your empty spots and being complete in and of yourself and sharing the love that you are. And mm, Mm. it feels so good to share love as opposed to need love in whatever form that is, whether it's validation or affection or compliments or reassurance or appreciation or acts of service, whatever fucking love language you think that you need i i don't have one i want all of them i don't know why we were told we just have one i was like i want all i want the gifts i want the acts of service i want the quality time i want all of them and i want them in equal amounts and why the fuck would i choose so for me whatever your love language is you know if if you have a hole inside of you and your partner must act in accordance with your love language or else this is the thing i hate about love languages it's like Oh, because my love language is acts of service, then you are entitled or you are um, obligated, 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 and I am entitled to you acting in a very specific way. And if you're not, well, you're not meeting my love language. And it's like, we need to expand our ability to receive love in more than this one tiny, narrow way. Um I don't have one. I'm all of them. And because of that, I'm able to receive my partner as he is and see the many ways he's loving me, not just in the ways that I'm expecting. So um, the good news is when I'm, when my self-care is top, top, top notch, like superb friendships, water, sleep, cooking food at home, eating healthy food, getting vitamin D, sunshine, vitamins, getting checkups, getting massages, getting manicures, like really taking good care of myself. And I understand this is a privilege and capitalism is a variable here that not everyone has access to. And I see you, I hear you. I'm referring to working with what you do have control over. Like if you have pockets of self-care that you could be taking advantage of, and yet you are not, that's what I'm talking about. Maximize the potential of your self-care and your aliveness. Um, Do what you can. And when you are 100% fulfilled, um, you will be able to appreciate your partner for what they add on top of that, as opposed to instead of that. And so Mm. many people, they enter. So did you see, there's a trend on TikTok right now, Chelsea. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called the boyfriend effect. Have you seen that trend? I think I saw one. I don't go on TikTok a lot because it honestly pisses me off. I really it pisses me off too. The dogs and the food. Um, 
It's basically women who share photos of themselves when they're single versus photos of themselves when they're in a relationship. And the whole point is that a relationship makes you worse, feel feel and look worse. Oh, I saw one, it was like the guy before he got with his girlfriend. And then after he got with his girlfriend, he was like so much more stylish and stuff. The one I saw were women who were like way hotter when they were single. And then when they got in a relationship, they got lazy and fatter and uglier. And they called it the relationship effect. And I said, you know, you're creating a causation that's not there. Um, A lot of people enter partnership expecting that their partner is going to do the work of maintaining them. And that is not true. You have to maintain yourself in the same exact way that you were when you were single. When you enter partnership, they're not going to like magically replace your aliveness for you um it's the biggest myth ever meaning you know what my my husband said this once he said that he whenever he goes out he tries to dress like he's going to run into his high school crush that day not because he wants to be with his high school crush but he has the mindset of staying at his best even while he's with me um and this is done as a gift to himself and as a gift to the relationship we get each other at at our best so there is something to be said about that. The relationship entering the relationship does not cause you to lose your fire. That is a hundred percent a choice based on this belief that your partner should now do that work for you. That is a lie. You are still completely responsible for yourself in the same way that you were when you're single. You're now just sharing your life with someone, but they are not going to do the work for you as soon as you enter partnership. So that's my that's my belief I'm just as responsible for my aliveness and happiness now as I was when I was single and it took me a long time to unlearn that that Preston was not here to make me feel good about myself and alive about myself that's my job he adds to that mm-hmm. to my already overflowing joy right he he's a mirror to that versus the like you said the replacement of you exactly. to do that work for yourself. And then another, but and then I hear the questions of being like, then why enter partnership with someone if they're not gonna like compliment you in a certain way or add value? And to that I say it's not that he doesn't add value, it's that he's not replacing a hole inside. He's not filling a void, he's not here to fill a void. Yeah. That's your and- work. For me, it's like the reason why I love being in partnership is because like, yes, I'm responsible for my own aliveness and I'm fine like doing that myself, but I just genuinely enjoy doing life alongside someone. I really, really cherish sharing, like you said, sharing love and sharing life with someone, not because, you know, he somehow now makes me more worthy or like now I believe I'm worthy of love. It's like, no, I do that work for myself to believe that. But like, it just genuinely, for me, I, I like it better. Just for me personally, not everyone does. Like, you know. Yep, I, I'm the I, same. I'm a penguin. I just love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I remember um, one of my, my aunt, she once told me that marriage is really just having someone to witness to your existence and that's a beautiful perspective because witnessing does not mean fixing witnessing does not mean um rescuing taking some rest witnessing is not rescuing you're sharing the space together you're witnessing each other you're witnessing each other through thick and thin through sickness and through health um and you're you know when you 
are old and you're going to pass away and your existential exist you are going to be forgotten one day but you will know that someone knew you someone knew what kind of shampoo you use someone knew that you didn't like that someone knew that you liked some weird ingredient on your avocado toast someone knew that like you hated the smell of i don't know anchovies really badly or so like someone knew little things about you you your life had relevance um so love is is really about wit being witnessed and witnessing someone but people don't see it that way um, and mm. there's something so beautiful about someone knowing you exist on mm. a leap deep level yeah you know? knowing all the things that seem quote-unquote unimportant yeah but that's that's intimacy it's just like I know these little details about you that no one else would maybe even care yeah I know that you like this thing and so when I go to the store and I see it I get it for you yes yeah yeah and nobody's entitled to a witness Mm -hmm. it's a gift yeah and that doesn't mean they're gonna catch every miraculous thing about you you know, uh, personally, I want to be witnessed all day long. Why do you think I have an Instagram? <laughs> you know what? People's people's longing to be witnessed and to have significance, it's t- turned into narcissism, unfortunately. I hear the longing and I mm-hmm. have it also in myself. And that's why I make content. You know, don't get me wrong. When I, I'm, when I go make content on social media, it is because I want attention. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I don't feel entitled to it. And when I get it, I'm, I'm thankful and I'm, I try not to be too attached to it, but I don't, but what we're really longing for is to be seen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, unfortunately on social media, you may get views, but you're not actually seen. That's right. And I find that in partnership, um, you can be seen through the little things. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. So beautiful. You may get views, but you're not being seen. Yeah, that's so true. Because you're you're quote unquote seen as what you portray, like the just the one part of you that you portray. So it's it's not even what people want to. It's yeah, yeah. Wow. And we have one more, I believe, from you. Yes. And I think again, this goes with everything that we've been (laughs) saying. Um. Yeah, I'm okay with my partner being imperfect and not fully evolved. Go off on the fully evolved part, because I think that one's the particularly spicy piece. Yeah, I feel like especially in the particularly like, polarizing, like in the manifestation, conscious relationship, spiritual, like relationship coaching realm. It's like there seems to be this like expectation that like you need to be fully evolved, fully healed, fully this uh, in order to in order for someone to be deserving of your love and your commitments um, and they can't be in process, uh, they need to be a fully manifested thing, product, a fully manifested thing that like is complete and is not like in process or growing or has potential in other areas that is not God yet forbid you settle for potential yeah there's just I don't know it's like I I think about how much I have quote-unquote evolved 
since Matt first met me. And I'm like, I think about the person I was when we first met. And I was like, literally, Matt, how did you put up with that? How did you put up with me when I thought that way? Like, oh my God, I cringe at myself. My dad's up. I love her. I love her so much. I know where she was coming from, but like sometimes I'm like, oh girl, oh girl. Um sit down, sit down. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, girl. And I'm just like, wow, I'm I'm so grateful that. I can still be seen as worthy, even though there were a lot of areas that I'm sure Matt even was like, she needs to grow in these areas, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And there was a, there, the thing about, I love about men, I loved about him in the beginning was like, he had this trust that I would. He's like, I see something in you that's unfolding. It's not, I'm sure he wouldn't use these words, but this is my perception of his perception. I see something in you that's unfolding, that's incomplete, but I trust in that process for you. And I don't need it to be rushed and I don't need to control how that looks. It's beautiful. Yeah. And so I, not that it's easy to be in the discomfort of the unfolding and the unfinished and the still evolving, but I try to extend that to Matt too. There are definitely some things where I was like, well, I'm a little bit more involved on my stance on this thing than you are. You're still a little bit like influenced by the patriarchy. <laughs> How dare you? God forbid. <laughs> oh my God. You've been conditioned it into it your whole life, but like, come on, get with it. Oh, excuse me. Um, but it's like, I trust that that's unfolding for him. It's unfold. It might not unfold at the pace that I would want it to be, or I quote unquote think it should, but I don't see him as any less worthy of my love because he's not fully evolved in the way that I think he should be fully evolved in something. And I don't think there is ever, I think um, this belief in my opinion comes from a belief that there is an arrival point of evolution. Right. And um there was this book I've re read recently. I think Africa Brooke mentioned it on her Instagram, The Courage to be Disliked. Did you ever read that one? I did not, but I've seen her talk about it. That is a counter uh, cultural book, let me tell you. I was very surprised. Um, but there was a lot of really good stuff in it. And one of the things he said is that we are all walking the path, and but nobody's in front of or behind each other there's only your own comparison with yourself and the version of yourself that you could be but there's no hierarchy between each of us there's just your own potential um the only person you should really compare yourself to is yourself mm -hmm. so i think a lot of times when we're comparing paths of other people it's coming from again as i mentioned before this entitlement and I think we're afraid of accepting our partners as they are, because we think that if they don't evolve, that we're not going to be seen or we're not going to be witnessed in the way that we want or our needs are not going to get met. Um, and that's why it's so important to hold that perspective that you are responsible for yourself and your own emotions. And they are not, they don't owe you anything and you don't owe them anything. You give it to them out of your own free will and they give it to you out of theirs. Um, yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that uh, I can also relate a lot to uh, the past version of myself that thought she was very evolved. And um, 
I actually, when my husband, yes, last night, Preston was like talking about um, like drug addiction. He was like, you know, why do people, why do people get addicted? In my mind, I was like, dude, I know. <laughs> and I wanted to like go into therapist mode and be like, this is why. And teach, I wanted to teach him the things he did not know. And mm. I saw that impulse to become the expert. And um, sometimes I b- literally bite my tongue. And I said, you know, there's a lot of information online. <laughs> like, if you really want to know, I you can go look it up and evolve. But I don't, yeah. um, I don't feel my, I don't see myself in the role or position to educate. Yeah. You know, I see a lot of content online that I saw this video a long time ago that said, if you're a woman in a heterosexual relationship with a man, you will perpetually be in a position to educate him. And I was like, oh, what? No, that only comes from the perspective that there is a way to be. And that you and need that to you, and that you know, and, and that you know how things should be. And he doesn't know anything. And he's this stupid buffoon. It has no wisdom in his way. And no ability to learn in his own way. Doing things. And so therefore you, yeah. And it might be a different way than yours and it might still be right. Mm -hmm. So no, and I was not my way. It's not right. Okay. If it's not my way, it's not right. And I've been deeply humbled over the years that my husband is actually correct in many ways. And if you're not listening because you're so busy educating, (laughs) you'll never learn that there's other ways of seeing things. Mm. that are also true Mm. and i even think about just like the species like the human species as a whole you know we think oh we're like in the age of like you know being woke or whatever it's like we're so evolved and our ancestors were just oh blah 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 blah. you know in the next 50 years that generation is going to be looking at us now being like oh i can't believe they believe that that is so unevolved like so when yeah. we judge someone else's unconsciousness or unevolvedness, we're judging our own, the aspects of us that are unconscious and unevolved and are yet yes. to be evolved. And like you said, there is no arrival point. I've actually come to have a lot of reverence for the past generations. The older I get, the more I appreciate my parents. Um, and my parents were not perfect parents. They were messy and um they had elements of narcissism, but I can't judge because I have elements of narcissism myself. And I think everyone does. And to the degree that you're like, I have no narcissism. There it is. <laughs> because yeah. I am perfectly humble. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I have some, I, I I made a podcast, I think my first year of business saying like, what if I'm a narcissist? Because there was this fear. And I used to be so afraid of that, of like being a narcissist. Um that because I I hated and judged people in the past that had hurt me. And as I said, the work for me has been seeing myself as the bully and identifying my own narcissism. And actually, I don't want to say become okay with it, but become accepting of it and use, you know how I mentioned tension is good. Tension between my light and my shadow. Mm shadow. My shadow charges me. It gives me energy. But if I completely act out of my unconsciousness, I hurt people, but I can't get rid of it. I can't get rid of my narcissism. It's there. So I try to channel it as fuel. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a practice. It's difficult. And because I can own my own narcissism, I can see others' narcissism with compassion. And and now I'm very grateful for my parents. And to be honest, if I if I were in their shoes at their time, I don't know if I could do a better job. Considering the circumstances, my parents did a really good job. And the reason I bring that up is because I think, you know, when we're able to look at generations through like a historical context, it's like the times that people grew up in and lived in um, and the tools that they had and did not have that we have today. It's very easy to judge the past generations, but because we're looking at it through our lens of the tools right, that we have. What, what we know now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, listen, they didn't have these books that you're reading back then. And if they did, they were working in a factory and they had no time to read it because they were trying to feed you. So um, you really can't judge. If, do you think you could do better given those circumstances? I couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, so with that has come so much grace towards the past and paradoxically, therefore, towards myself. Yeah. And I know that the future generations are going to come and point fingers at me and I'm going to say, you're right. Yeah. And, you know, because this, so. this is what I know now, because this is what I have access to now. And I know right. future me is going to look at current me and be like, we were missing some things. There are some things we were a little off on, but she didn't know then what I know now. And just like I said, I cringe at my past self. You know, I say that, you know, tongue in cheek. Yeah. I, based on the environment I was in, the context I was in, like what I had resources to internally and externally like that was just like couldn't have done better I knew and I thought I was really really doing my best and I she was she was she was doing her best and so much love to our past selves and our and our generations in the past she got me to here she got me here that version thank thank god for that today wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that version of me that and thank God for that. We can yeah. say thank you to her. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I've I found I accept what I've been given includes my past. Mm-hmm. And um, I found this to be so beautiful and humbling. And every day I thank my parents at minimum for the gift of my life at mm-hmm. minimum. Because if you have nothing else to thank them for, thank them for your mere existence. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us don't like I said, we don't accept what we're given with humility and appreciation, even if it's what should be, or like we're entitled to it or whatever. So if, if I had the choice, I would come. And and if I had the choice and I'd never experienced being Natalie, I would still choose being Natalie. I think it's awesome. And I have my parents to thank and and their parents and their parents and their parents. So this work, it doesn't just, it's not just you and your, your relationship. Now it's like your ancestors. It goes back and forward. Yeah, your relationship to all things. Yeah. All things, inner and outer. I knew this was going to be a fire conversation. So good. I'm so glad we had seven, seven count, seven polarizing beliefs. And we could have gone on and on and on. So I know. Oh, yes, I love seven. you so much. I love you. So good. And for those of you listening, the outer outside of this inner conversation Uh, those of you that are listening from the outside thank you so much for listening to us and taking time out of your day and trusting us um to you know uh trusting our our opinions and trusting our perspectives um they really have brought me and chelsea so much joy um 
So I, I take what works and discard what doesn't, I guess. Yeah, because honestly, we're both full of shit. So, I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of shit. Two things are true. So, you know, uh, I'm just a regular old person over here. So take what works, leave the rest, and hope you found one of those seven things to be thought-provoking, helpful, something yes. else. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you, Chelsea. I'm very grateful for you. Grateful for you. Ma, love you. Ma, talk to you soon. If you found today's episode really empowering and you want to be able to write a new set of beliefs and perspectives about relationships, if you want to write a new love story for yourself that isn't dictated by black and white views from society or unhelpful examples from parents and you want to completely revolutionize how you show up and how you experience your relationship, we have a brand new one-on-one program called Relationship Rebirth. It is going to rock your world in the best ways. It's going to help you release old stories, old beliefs, stored experiences around relationships in your body that are hijacking your ability to connect today, releasing all that out with the old and in with the the rebirth of what what's to come, um, which is just so such a beautiful process for me to witness in clients, to see them go from one way of relating to a complete 180 and showing up in their relationships with more confidence and trust and safety and peace and security and empowerment. It is um, our absolute favorite thing here at Healing Embodied. So Sarah, my amazing co-coach, has a couple spots open for Relationship Rebirth. I'm going to post the link to apply in the description and I really hope to see you in there.